Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. All right, how you doing, Hope? All right, I like the energy. Um, I, I, I have friends and acquaintances that are a part of Hope, uh, but this is actually my first time being here. So it is, it is really, really good to be here. It's, also be, it's great to be with all of our Hope locations and also our Hope Online. Uh, it's good, just, it is good for me to be here. So thank you for having me. And um, oh, look at that, I have one fan right there. That was, thank you very much. Uh, it was a few months ago, and I was pulling in my driveway, and I noticed a big orange moving truck pulling in next door. And of course, what that meant, this big orange moving truck, it meant new neighbors. And, and new neighbors are kind of like the adult equivalent. Remember when you were in grade school and there'd be like a new kid show up? You remember that feeling? Oh, who's the new kid? Right? It's kind of the adult equivalent. Who's the new kid? Because it might be, maybe this will be my new best friend. Or maybe it'll end up being, you know, like my old neighbors who are constantly letting their pit bull loose in my backyard and then got busted for drug possession. It could kind of go either way, right? Either way. Who are these new neighbors? Well, either way, the Bible has this to say about our neighbors. It says this, love your neighbors as yourself. In fact, eight different times, almost as though it's for emphasis, it says this, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. Help me out. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. That's exactly right. Eight times it emphasizes that. And it's actually referred to as the royal law. And when we get it right, this loving our neighbors, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. And so much of that happens in, I mean, in settings kind of like this. Just friends or neighbors sitting across the table, maybe with a cup of coffee, in chairs, enjoying one another, getting to know one another over conversations. Now, sometimes loving your neighbor is not so easy. But my experience has been most of my neighbors are pretty decent folks. And so the question isn't that, that it's so hard to love my neighbors. The real question for me is how do I intentionally love my neighbor? I mean, how do I actually do that? How do I do it in a way that actually shows them God's love? How do we do that? I'll tell you what, here's what I want you to do. I, I got a little exercise because I want everybody here for us to kind of get in on this and I want you to really apply this, okay? I really want you to apply this. All of you join us online, I want you to, all our locations, I want you to apply this to your everyday life. So right now I want you to think about this. I want you to think about a new neighbor in your life. All right, think about a new neighbor in your life. And it might be someone who actually literally moved into the neighborhood. It could also be someone who's new at work, 
works in a cubicle near you or works in the work site near you, but a new person at work. Or maybe it's someone who's new where you kind of hang out or where you work out or where you play. But I want you to think about someone who's new in your sphere of influence. And if you want, you can take out your phone, put their name in there, okay, if you want to do that. Uh, if you got a piece of paper, you want to jot it down. Or if you just want to get it in your head, okay? I'll tell you what, just some, so right here I just want to make sure. Has everybody got, give me a little nod if you got somebody. How about way back there? You got somebody? How about you guys? You got somebody? Everybody got somebody? All right. Got some thumbs up. Got some, how you guys doing? You got somebody? All right. We're all in on this. Okay. Those of you online, I can't see, but I know you're there. Give me a little nod. You're with me. All right. There we go. You got somebody. You got this new neighbor. Now, here's the deal it was for me. When I first became a Christ follower, I was a, became a Christ follower as a young adult. I was so pumped. I was so enthusiastic about God's grace and God's love and, and really how the life of Jesus, I mean, changed me. I was so excited about it. I mean, I wanted to share it literally with everybody. And I tried. And I did it in extraordinarily obnoxious ways. I mean, I would literally like, sorry, ma'am, I, I would like walk up to you on the street. I did this. My college, I'd walk up to you and say, have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? And they would just look at me kind of like she's looking at me, just stunned, like, what? I, would, I actually went door to door, okay? People would open the door, and I'd ask them the same kind of question. And if you were to die tonight, and you were to stand before God, and he was asking, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And they'd go, what? And I found myself asking questions they had no interest in answering. And I found myself answering questions that they weren't asking. And big picture, in all my enthusiasm... It just didn't work. They did not feel, right? They didn't feel any love. And they didn't come to know God's love. So here's what happened. That was as a young adult. I was still so convinced about this whole thing that I actually became a pastor and decided to plant a church. And I started this church, but early on I said, you know, here's what I'm going to do. Forget the words. I'm not going to verbally assault people anymore. Here's what I'm going to do instead. I'm just going to live my life like Jesus would. And if you've just ever gone to that other extreme, I'm just going to live my life like Jesus would. They'll see the difference. Well, what I found happened was that, yeah, people thought I was a good guy. People actually thought I was a good neighbor. But I never, ever got to the place where they understood God's love, and they certainly didn't get a chance to introduce him to Jesus. And there was something inside me. I, just, I, I knew there had to be a better way. I knew there had to be a better way both for me, but also now as a pastor for all the people in my church who also seem to be struggling with the same thing too. For, for a long time, I was, I was familiar with uh, what you'd kind of call God's blessing strategy in Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, God's blessing strategy gets laid out like this. It says this, and I'm going to bless you. I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So basically what God's saying is, listen, here's the way it's going to work. Here's how we're going to reach the whole world. I'm going to bless you, and then you're going to bless others. And maybe you're familiar with this saying, too. Maybe you can finish this even. We'll see how it goes. Um, you are blessed to be a blessing. A blessing. Some of you have heard that. Blessed to be a blessing. And to be honest with you, I always thought that kind of sounded kind of like a pithy, cute little saying. More like a refrigerator magnet or a bumper sticker or something that would get sewn onto a pillow in my grandma's house, right? But I remember the moment. I remember the moment when all of a sudden I, it was like, no, that's how. That was God's how we are to love our neighbor. Here was the beginning of that moment for me. 
I, I was reading a, 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 a study. It was actually part of a doctoral dissertation. And the study was titled, Blessers versus Converters. <laughs> Blessers versus Converters. And in this study, it was so fascinating, they followed two teams of missionary. Both, these, both teams went to Thailand, but they went with two distinctly different strategies, missionary kind of strategies. The converters, on the one hand, they went with the sole intention of trying, they were going to try to convert people. They would actually say, we want to save souls. Then you had the blessers. And the blessers, uh, their intention was to be a blessing. Just wherever God would send us, we want to be a blessing to those folks, whoever comes our way. They followed both teams for two years. Here's what they discovered. First, they discovered that the blessers in the community the result after two years is they created a lot of what they call social capital. They made the community a better place to live. The converters, not so much. Really no difference as far as social capital or community good. But the second thing that was so surprising was this. It was this, that the blessers actually saw 50 times as many people come to faith as did the converters. In fact, the totals were over two years, the blessers saw 100 people come to know God's love and say yes to following Jesus, and the converters only saw two. <laughs> and I know, I was, I was the same way, I was kind of like, wow. And I, and I kind of stepped back from that, and that was like that first aha, and I was going like, hold it. Maybe the best way to love your neighbor, the best way to share God's love, is to be a blesser. A little later, I ran across um, some more research. There's, a, there's an organization called the Barna Research Group. I think you'll find this interesting because what they did is they actually asked friends and neighbors, like the people you're thinking about right now. You still got your person? I want you to keep thinking about them. Got them? They asked people that live around you, friends and neighbors like me. They asked them this question. They said, what would you value in a person with whom you would talk about spiritual matters? What would you value in a person with whom you'd talk about spiritual matters? Let me give you the three top things. Here are the top three qualities they're looking, people are looking for. Because if you've got friends and neighbors that you would, man, I would, I, yeah, I want to love them, and I would love the opportunity to share God's love with them, here's what they're looking for. They said, number one, they want someone who will listen without judgment. That's the top thing, someone who listens without judgment. I'm telling you, hear me on this, okay? Listening, especially today, is one of the purest acts of love. And here's the sad news. The sad news is this. Two-thirds of those people that they surveyed said they had nobody in their life that would actually listen to them without judgment. And to be honest with you, as, as I kind of reflected on my early attempts to share the good news, here's what my focus on. My focus was on what I would say. And even when I was listening, I wasn't really listening so I could hear them out and hear their story and get to know them. I was listening so I could move, maneuver the conversation so I could respond with the answer. People are looking for people, your friends and who will listen without judgment. Let me, let me, how many think you can do that? I, I think I can do that, listen without judgment. Let me see the show of hands. All the locations, show of hands, listen without judgment. Okay, good. Here's the second thing they said they're looking for, second quality they're looking for, someone they talk to about spiritual things. I want somebody to help, someone who will let me draw my own conclusions. Your friends, your neighbors, that person in your head, they are not a project, they are people. And they're looking for someone who will not force a conclusion on them, but will actually trust them to have their own spiritual journey the same way that God trusted you. 
And again, when I think about my early failed attempts, now my heart, I think my heart, my motivation was in a good place. But my tactics were so brutal. <laughs> I knew the outcome I wanted. I wanted them to say yes to Jesus. I wanted to baptize them that night. Good intention, but just poor tactics. So how about that? Someone who allowed me to draw my own conclusions. You think, how many of you think you could do that? How many think you could do that? Let's say that again. Show of hands. All locations. Show of hands. Think you yeah, okay, good. Here's a third thing. The third thing they said this. They said, I'm also looking for someone who has the confidence to share their own perspective. Have the confidence to share their own perspective. Now notice, after they listen, after you have space for them to come to their own conclusions, you treat them like an adult, then they want you to confidently share your perspective. I, I call that paying the relational rent. <laughs> you got to pay the relational rent in, in settings, kind of like this back here. Where you invest in the relationship by listening and loving them no matter what they decide. And if you do that, you will forever have a place in their life. How many of you think you can do that? Last one. Let me see it. What do you think? Can you do that? Show of hands everywhere, all locations too. Yeah? Very good. Well, here's the next thing for me on my own journey. I, I began to kind of look at this, and what, what struck me as I looked at the life of Jesus, I discovered, you know what? That's exactly what he did so often. He listened without judgment. Not so much with the religious leader. He was pretty forceful with those guys, right? But when people who are far from God, no, he would listen without judgment. In fact, you go back, he asks hundreds of questions, but only answers a few. He allowed people to draw their own conclusions. Think about the rich young ruler. If you remember that story, the rich young ruler who walks away sad, okay, I can't control you if that's what you want to do. And at the right time, he also had the confidence, right? to share the good news. He'd said this, I am the way. I am the way. And the more I studied the life and ministry of Jesus, what I noticed, what kind of emerged was a whole bunch of different missional practices. And we began to look at like a handful of them, like five of them that he used over and over and over as a friend to bless others. And what we did is we put those memorable practices, that's kind of the top five, into this acronym that we call BLESS. And what I want to do for the rest of the time that we have, I want to give that to you. I want to give it to every one of you. And I want to challenge you just to do one of these every day. Do one of these every day with that person that you've already selected to bless them, okay? So here we go. Let's give them to you real quick. The B stands for, this one's a little bit of a stretch, okay? So give me a little bit on this one. The B stands for begin with prayer, <laughs> okay? Begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. If you think about this, prayer is both how you discover your mission, but it's also how you do the mission, when, when Jesus started his three-year ministry, what did he do? The first thing it says in Luke chapter 6, it says, he went out on the mountainside and he prayed. And so just like Jesus, you begin with prayer. And please trust this. God is already at work. There's a whole world that he wants to bless. And if you're not sure where to start, here, here's what you can do. I mean, just... In the morning, get up and you, you start, well, you walk your neighborhood, walk your neighborhood, and you just start praying for each house in that neighborhood. And you say, God, who do you want me to bless today? Give me an opportunity. That's how you begin. Or on your way to work, if you're driving to work, you walk to work, you bike to work, however it is, you know, wherever you go, if it's an office or if it's a work site, you're just praying, God, who do you want me to bless today? Who do you want me to bless? Ask God, who do you want me to bless? And I'll tell you what, you begin to do that, and God will begin to speak to you, and some crazy stuff will begin to happen. 
One of my favorite stories about this is a guy named Louie that I know. Just kind of a crazy thing. Louie went to the mall. And he went to the mall and um, for whatever reason, uh, he noticed this one guy who was sitting on a bench. Just sitting on a bench. And as he noticed this one guy sitting on the bench, he has this strange sensation inside that said, go tell him that God loves him. Go tell him that God loves him. Now, Louis doesn't want to do that, right? I mean, would you want to do that? It just, I mean, it'd be weird, right? And so he's, he's pushing it down. I'm not doing that. Not, that would just be bizarro if I go tell this guy God loves him, right? He'll think I'm a freak. So he doesn't do it. He's walking around the mall. He walk, comes out of another store, and he sees the same guy, but sitting on a different bench. And so again, it's like a similar kind of prompting, something inside and nudging, going like, go tell him that God loves him. And again, he's like, no, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not doing it. So he's walking around, he's getting ready to leave. Before he leaves, he sees the guy a third time. He sees the guy a third time. And when he sees him this third time, he, same kind of prompting. And finally he goes, all right, God. <laughs> all right. And he walks up to the guy and here's what he says to him. He says, listen, I don't want to seem weird or anything, but I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that God loves you. The guy's eyes well up with tears. And he says to Louis, he says, you know what? This morning, I was at the end of my rope. And I told God, I said, God, if you're real, you got to show me you love me today. And then he said, and you are the third person today who's come up to me the mall and said, God loves me. (laughs) After you begin with prayer, all right? So you're praying for that person you're thinking about. After you begin with prayer, then the second thing, L, and it goes back to some of the things we heard from the Barna Research Group, L stands for listen. L stands for listen. There's this terrific story that, uh, that a friend of mine from Australia tells about an American missionary. This American missionary went to a remote part of India. So fascinating. And he went there and he's very well resourced. And he sat down with, with, with this group of, of, of leaders from this kind of remote part of India. And he said, listen, I can, I, I, I can help you out. I have access to lots of resources back in the States. We could actually build a school for you. Uh, we could build a hospital for you if you want. Or, I mean, I could act, we could construct a church. So, I, I mean, you tell me what you need and I can make it happen. And this group of leaders from this remote, Indian part, of, remote part of India said back to him, they said, um, well, what we'd really like is could you get us a mailbox? And he was a little frustrated, like maybe he didn't communicate clearly. So he kind of hit it all over again. He said, listen, I have access to, you know, to a lot of resources. And what I could do is we could build a hospital. We'll get people in there. We can heal them. I could build a school. We can teach them. Or I could build a church and we can have people there who worship and they'll, they'll find Jesus. We use it as a community center. I mean, lots of things, big things that we could do together. What would you like for me to do? And again, they said, what we'd really like is could you get us a mailbox? And he was totally befuddled. He said, oh, listen, with all the things I can do, why a mailbox? Why not something more? And then they explained to him, which something he didn't understand as an American. He said, they, they said, if we could get a mailbox, like a P.O. box, that would actually put us on the map. And if you could put us on the map, we could get access to all of the government programs that we've never had before that would be far greater than what you're offering us. Could you get us a mailbox? And what he needed to do was just listen. 
It's fascinating because if you think about this, Jesus did this so well, like, like, like with the blind man. I don't know if you ever noticed this in, in Luke chapter 18. Before he heals the blind man, he actually asks him a question. He says this, what do you want me to do? He says that to the blind man. He, he deals with him with dignity. And he gets the request that he'd like to be healed. It was the, uh, the inventor of the stethoscope. He used to talk to doctors. They'd put on that first stethoscope and he would say this. Listen to your patients. They will tell you how to heal them. I'm telling you, same thing, th- same thing is so true. You got neighbors that you love, you want to share God's love with them. Here's the thing you need to do. You, you start praying for them. You just pray for them every day. The second thing you do, you listen to them. I mean, really listen to them. Hear their stories, hear their pain, hear what's going on in their lives. So many people have nobody that will actually listen to them. And here's the third thing, okay? Here's the third practice. The third practice, this is my personal favorite, all right? And this is going to be something many of us are experts at here. And I need a little applause for this one. The E stands for eating. How about that one? All right? There we go. I got an amen, I think, on that one. Eating. All right? I mean, again, it's kind of like it's something that happens in settings just like this. Am I right? There's something about a shared meal that moves any relationship kind of from an acquaintance to a friendship. And some of you that are married or been married for a long time, you just kind of think back. Think back to that first date when you went out for dinner, went out for lunch, went out for breakfast. I see, I see a few people looking at each other. Yeah, remember when? And it moved, right? It moved that relationship of yours from kind of an acquaintance all of a sudden to something kind of special. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on somebody here. Uh, sir, how many meals do you eat every day? Four meals a day, okay. So this guy is an above average man. Nicely done. Four. Now the average person probably is three, but we'll go with four because that's we'll mix it up a little bit. So four a day, seven days a week, that's 28. 28 meals. You're, what, what was the Lord of the Rings? They had the little guys that were called the hobbits. You're like a hobbit, right, with extra meals. Um, so anyway, 28 meals, okay. Average person, 21 meals. But think about this. Think about each one of those. Those are opportunities to love your neighbor. And one of the things I love about these blessed practices, if you think about what I'm sharing with you, praying, listening, now eating, this is not something you actually have to add to your life to love your neighbor, to show him God's love. It's not like I'm asking you to come, come to church on Tuesday night or carve out four hours every week to do this thing so we can make a difference in our community. No, this is not something you add to your life. This is how you live your life. It's how we live our lives. And I think that's what Jesus did. There's, there's a fascinating... Uh, a book called Right Here, Right Now, and Alan Hirsch and Lance Ford, they put this in their book. Listen to what they say about sharing meals. This is so good. Sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. We're just talking about eating, people. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. I love this next line. We can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. If every Christian house would regularly invite a stranger or a poor person in their home for a meal, just once a week, one of those 28, right? <laughs> we could literally change the world by eating. I love that. Change the world by eating. I mean, that sounds like fun. If we're going to bless our neighbors and love our neighbors, part of it, I'm telling you, in settings just like this over here, it means, yeah, we're eating with our neighbors. Now, here's the truth. You begin with prayer. You listen, thinking about that person. You're praying for that person. You're listening to that person. Now you're all of a sudden you're eating. And when I talk about eating, yeah, it might be a meal. It might be dessert. It might be a trip to Starbucks for coffee. But there's something happening there. You do those first three things. The, the fourth and the first S is serve. I'm telling you, I promise you, pray, listen, eat. They will tell you how to love them. 
You will get to know them so well, they will tell you, here's how you can serve me. Because guess what? I hate to break the news. This is kind of like a remedial course in friendship. You do these things, you're going to become friends. And they will tell you how to serve them. That's what, and Jesus even said his mission. My mission isn't, what did he say? Not to be served, but to serve. There, there's a famous letter that was written uh, to a Roman elite named Diognetes. And this famous letter was written at his request because he heard about these Christians, these early Christians, who were changing the world. And he couldn't understand, how were they changing the world? He said, I, I need someone to do some research and explain to me. So he had commissioned someone to do this, and they, this is what they wrote back to him. Here's why they're changing the world. Let me read this to you. This goes back to the early Christians. He said this, For Christians cannot be distinguished from the rest of the human race by country or language or customs. They do not live in cities of their own. And what he means by this, he's basically saying they don't, Christians don't just kind of cluster themselves and leave anyone out. And he, specifically, he was saying they weren't racist. They included others. He goes on and says this. Here's something else that's unique about those first Christians. They have a share in everything as citizens. They endure everything as foreigners. They marry like everyone else, and they beget children, but they do not cast off their outspring. What is he talking about there? If you go back and understand your history here, back then, many of the families, the Roman families, only wanted baby boys. If there was a baby girl, oftentimes they would literally take it out into the forest, leave it there to die. The Christians, the Christians were known for actually going out in the woods, rescuing these little baby girls, bringing them into their homes and adopting them as their own. He goes on and describes them. These early Christians, they share their table, right? They share their table with everyone, but not their marriage bed. What he's getting to here is that Christians were known for their hospitality, opening their homes to all classes of people, but at the same time they had a radical commitment to their marriage partner, where in contrast, the Romans were known to have sex with anybody, but they wouldn't eat with someone who wasn't their social equal. And then he wraps it up and he says this about these early Christians. It's true they are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, but in their own lives, they go far beyond what the law requires. They love all men, and by all men are persecuted. And then he wrapped it up this way. They are reviled, and yet they bless. That's what the early Christians were known for. And what if someone wrote a letter about your life and how you're making a difference in the world? What would it say? So I want to challenge you. Think about that person you got, okay? How do you begin with prayer? Listen to them. Eat with them. And once you get to know them and they're saying, hey, here's the pain points. Here's where I'm hurting. Here's where I need love. That's where you serve them. And then finally, here's, here's the last thing. Then you'll have an opportunity to share your story. I guarantee it. You'll have an opportunity to share your story. I want, I want to tell you about my friend Michael. Uh, my friend Michael, the first time uh, church ever came up with Michael, he told me, he said, I, he told me he was mad at God, and he actually even said this. He said, church is just a bunch of BS, except he didn't say that. I mean, he just, you know. Now, Michael's story, there's a story behind that, and there always is. Uh, Michael grew up in an abusive home. He moved out of his house when he was 15 years old. He finished high school on his own. Actually found his way to college. Actually got a, got a D1 scholarship, ran track and field in a D1 school. 
At one point, I almost ran a four-minute mile. Finally graduated, went to grad school, married a beautiful wife, started his own business, did well for himself. Now, as I got to know Michael, because both of our boys ran cross-country and track in high school together, I'll never forget, he told me this. He said, you know what, Dave? For 20 years, here's what he said. For 20 years, I felt like I had to live for two lives. I felt like I had the burden, not just living one life, but I had to live two lives. And there was a story behind that. When Michael was in grad school, out in California, his best friend Jay and him went for a drive. Uh, Michael had been the best man in Jay's wedding. And since Michael was now engaged, the plan was that Jay would be his best man. And um, Jay was this guy that Michael described as just very moral, very spiritual, just the kind of guy he wanted to be. Terrific human being. They got in a car accident. Michael survived. Uh, Michael's best friend, Jay, did not. In fact, Michael watched Jay die in that car. Michael was found negligent. And every day after that, he lived with that guilt and that shame. Eventually, he moved away from Southern California. He didn't tell anybody except his wife that story. He kept it inside for two decades. For 20 years, he carried the burden and the shame. And that's why he said, I felt like I had to live two lives and not just one. This is my journal. I brought it up here on purpose because every day, I usually write two pages. And at the bottom here, I write the words, bless. And I, I list eight people, eight of my neighbors that I pray for. For three years, I prayed for my friend Michael. Kind of like the friend you got in your head, right? I prayed for my friend Michael. Now, both of our boys were in cross country, and um, we both loved our boys. We both loved that sport. That kind of drew us together. And so whenever we were at the meets, we would chat it up, right? He would talk. I would listen. We'd talk about the sport. We'd talk about our boys. I remember the moment when it kind of turned towards spiritual things. He was kind of curious about some stuff. And so we agreed to have breakfast. Begin with prayer, listen, eat. And we started a routine of having breakfast together. Occasionally, he'd want to introduce me to a new restaurant so we might have lunch or dinner, but we started eating together. Now, Michael, if you knew Michael, he, he's, he's the CEO of his own company. He's used to being the boss. And I remember one time he said, listen, Dave, I want you to be my spiritual coach. He said, you know, I've hired other people that were executive coach, but why don't you be my spiritual coach? Which I'm going, like, yeah, sure, I'd, I'd love to be your spiritual coach. And so that's how I began to serve him. We were talking about cross country and track and our boys and whatever else is going on. And then spiritual things as he had questions. I'll never forget the breakfast. Two friends sitting at a table, eating together. That's when he told me, he said, today, Dave, it's 20 years exactly since I killed my friend. That's the first time he ever told me. And it wasn't just that breakfast, but it was the praying, it was the listening, eating together, trying to serve him, and other people too. But it was at that table that my friend Michael said yes to Jesus, found forgiveness, and also realized that Jesus could redeem a story even like his for great good. I, um, I asked Michael to do, uh, just kind of tell his story, and, uh, and here it is on video for you. I really did not have a relationship with God, and I did not think about it. It wasn't a goal or objective of mine, and my mentality was, if you want to get something done, you can only really rely on you. 
And so that's the way I approached the world um, for, for many, many years. My name is Michael Kinney. I'm married to Stacy, and I have four children, Austin, Zachary, Aiden, and Zane, and I've been coming to community for two years. Jay was my roommate in graduate school. So February um, of 1997, Jay and I went to go see a concert. And on the way home from that concert, um, back to our apartment, um, we were in a car wreck. Jay um, died in the car wreck, extremely emotionally uh, devastated by the loss of my friend. And I felt very responsible. And I was very, very angry um, with God. So I decided then that I'm gonna live two lives, one for me, and one for Jay, and I just, I began trying to do that um, through my activities. Everything that I would achieve, it never was enough. It never made me feel differently. I still felt very um, angry, very alone. It, you know, it didn't matter how hard I tried or what I accomplished, um, something was still missing. I just kept, um, you know, walking around carrying these bags of bricks, um, never even considering putting them down and maybe asking for help. And my oldest son, Austin, he began going to church with his good friend, Caleb. I remember he got baptized and it really took me aback that he had on his own, you know, figured out something that I could never figure out. And so I began going to church with a more open mind, trying to pay attention to the signs and to um, the messages that people were sharing with me. I also have a son who has severe autism and he has you know, no ego. And so I have this wonderful reflection of what Jesus Christ looks like without ego with my son Aiden. So the combination of um, watching Austin and watching and reflecting on my relationship with Aiden really turned my views from egoism and hubris to humility. And then I was invited to go to a small group and I knew sort of what that was, but I didn't really know what it was. I'd never been in a small group. And I was very nervous, I mean, very nervous to attend my first session, particularly the subject was on regret. Um, I remember thinking, wow, um, how apropos that my first small group is on the subject that I need to learn the most about. And it really opened my eyes. The, the kind of the tipping point for me was on the 20th anniversary of this car accident, which killed my friend. It's a dark day for me, a very upsetting uh, day, and my family doesn't have any idea, except for my wife, why am I so upset? Um, not just all of the time, why am I sort of angry all of the time, but why am I particularly upset this day? What I found was that after I started sharing this story, particularly you know, with my family, and then in some cases with my close friends, that every single time I talked about what happened, it was like I was taking a brick out of the bag and putting it on the ground, and my load was just getting lighter and lighter and lighter. And every single time I did it, I felt better. For most of my life, I thought that asking for help was a sign of weakness. And what I've come to realize is that asking for help is really a sign of strength. And then if you really want some help and you want to really want to go to the right place, the best place to go is asking God for help and accepting Jesus into your life. And this was that, uh, that following Easter, and I got to baptize my friend Jay. I mean, my friend Michael. How about that? Let, let me just kind of keep it real. Okay, so as a pastor, I mean, you kind of get to baptize a lot of people, which is cool. That's cool. But Michael was my friend. You know what I'm saying? That was like, I mean, it's my friend. 
that I prayed for, I listened to, I ate, we got to serve and share some of my story. All right, so why is a guy from Chicago here in North Carolina? That's what I want for you. That's what I want for you, and that's what I want for your friend. Let me challenge you with this, two things. Do one of these every day. And if you just pray for them, that counts. That counts, that's fine. Do one of these every day. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, story. Just do one of those for your friend. And then find some other people to be accountable for, like in your small group. Get in the small group and start your small group by just asking the question, hey, who'd you bless this week? Who'd you bless this week? That could mean who'd you pray for, who'd you listen to, eat, serve, story. And I'll tell you what, if you ever wondered how, how, how do I love this new neighbor? This is how you love your neighbor. And here's the thing, if enough of us do this, I am absolutely convinced if enough of us do this, that's how we change the world. That's how we change the world. That's how we change the world. Let's pray. Father God, I want to say thanks for each of the people that are here in this room. I want to say thank you for the people that are at all of our locations, the people that are viewing online. Lord, I ask that you place within our hearts right now a real burden for, for our neighbors. And give us the courage not to do something extra but to, that we're adding to our life, but to actually make this a part of our life that we bless people. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.